Hello, hello, beautiful people, mi gente bella. Welcome, welcome to another edition of Santana Sis, where we talk about everything from Roblox to relationships, everything in between, and the overall journey of a life. I am excited, as always, to bring you another edition of the show, and we do have another wonderful guest that is joining us. Um, we go all the way back to, like, high way school. Back. Yes, like, super before, like, professional world, before all these things. When we were babies. We were, though. <laughs> and we are going to shout out all the incredible programs that exist. We, that really cool one, which does not, I don't even know the name of it. The, the, one science, at the science Center. Center yeah. What the heck was the name of that I think it was program? called Science Ambassadors. Oh, yeah, we were definitely ambassadors, yeah. correct. We were at the Great Lakes Science Center here in Cleveland, Ohio, and we were doing really cool stuff, mm -hmm. young for sure. <laughs> like, for sure. we were learning leadership skills from the jump. Yeah. But let me not take it away. Let me uh, <laughs> give you a chance. Introduce yourself. Who are you? What did you do? How we meet? Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, well, I'm Elaine Suarez. I am um, a mom, a daughter, a friend. Uh, Melissa and I have known each other since we were babies, since we were in high school. We started in um, a youth program together, and we've both been in, like, similar work for all our careers, so we've Pretty always much. collaborated. Um, I would describe myself as a workforce inclusion advocate, um, an equity and inclusion practitioner, an educator, and a career coach is kind of how would I, I would sum oh, up nice. my experience. Nice. Okay, and, and speaking of that, I was gonna say, so like we, um, as we mentioned, yes, it was an incredible program where we learned from the beginning how to like facilitate programs. So we were like mini facilitators back mm -hmm. in the day, program coordinators, yep. if you will, in that program. But I thought it was super cool and comforting because y'all know how nerve wracking it is when you come in for an interview and you're like wondering, you know, how it's gonna go, what questions are you gonna be asked and all those things. I thought it was so dope when I walked into Esperanza Inc in mm. Cleveland and Missy Lane was there. And so I was like, wait, you're here? And she was like, yes, I work here, girl. So I was like, oh, hold up, let me, <laughs> yeah. let me get the in. Like, are you gonna get me in? Like, can you put in a good word? <laughs> so it was just awesome. But it's also like reassuring, like I said, that day to know that there was a familiar face. Yeah. But then we got to cross paths again. And actually, no, that's not the only time. We also crossed paths again in college yep. because we were both the presidents yep. of our little Latino organizations, not little, but for us, you know what yeah. I mean? That was our little yeah. things. So yeah, it was crazy that we had multiple touch yeah, points yeah. over the like years. Our foundation, we started our foundation together. Yes, so exactly. Awesome. Absolutely. And so with that, I mean, so how do you feel like all of those things help set you up for like the career that you now have with all these great things that you now do? Yeah, I mean, every, every experience has, I still use today. Um, right. And the Science Center, um, so this was a program when we were high school kids and we were coordinating um, STEM programs for younger kids and we were going out into the community, like right. into um, like public housing centers, oh, yeah, we into um, community centers, we were bringing folks into the science museum. Um, so that, yeah, that really like set a foundation for my interest in working with youth and in education. Oh, yes. um, and I've really stayed like in that realm for the past um, over, yeah, like 15 plus years, so, yeah. I know, I always thought it was interesting when people would say that, like, they've had a career for, like, 20 years yeah. doing all this stuff, and I'm like, wow, that sounds a lot. Right. We've been doing that now. Yes, we really have. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now we're amongst those folks. Yeah. It is interesting, but that's awesome. And then what about, like, um, the Esperanza world and all those things that you did there? Yeah, so I, um, so I, I guess I can, let me backtrack. So I... Initially, going into school, I um, 
was wanted to be either like a teacher or a social worker. I always wanted to be in service of people, um, always wanted to make an impact. But those were really the only two career tracks that I knew that could do that. Right. Uh, my mother um, was a teacher in the Cleveland schools. Um, and then just living between like Cleveland and Puerto Rico, um, just always lived in a very like multicultural world, but also always noticed like all of the disparities and, and injustices. Um, so I was always like interested in in working to um, alleviate that somehow. Um, so I started in in youth work. Um, I I interned at a community foundation when I was in graduate school, um, where we had a youth philanthropy program. Um, and that was really cool because it empowered youth to decide like where they wanted to um, allocate different grant funds to youth serving programs. Um, and then I came back to Cleveland. I did grad school out in Illinois, Northern Illinois University. Um, came back to Cleveland and actually was looking for um, some volunteering opportunities with Esperanza because I was a, a scholarship recipient, had always been connected to them. Um, and there was an open position for a mentoring coordinator. So they were looking to launch um, launch a formal mentoring program. Um, so that's how I ended up getting connected and employed at Esperanza. I was there for about five years. Um, it really set my career off and I was able to establish lots of connections, get lots of experience with program planning, um, workforce development. So I ran mentoring programs that were aimed at um, connecting students to, like different career paths and opportunities. Um, and then after that, I was at, at Cleveland State for um, six years where I was a, a career coach. See, which is awesome. And and so for those who don't know, yes, Esperanza Inc. is this wonderful nonprofit in Cleveland. And it is known for offering post-secondary opportunities for Latino students and also students of color is, as well. I remember being amongst, I had a great diverse group that was there. And actually, y'all met two of them. So we had Aziz and Edward oh, on yeah. the show. That's right. That. Oh, awesome. yeah, that's right. And we shouted out. And during that episode, we shouted out Elaine. So really? there's a person. Oh, yes, we did. <laughs> you have to go back. Here you go. Shout out. Yes, we did, girl. <laughs> So yeah, we actually, this is now the person we were yeah. talking about. Um, but yeah, we did, it, I do think that's incredible. It is incredible work and they just are celebrating what their 40th, right? Mm -hmm. Anniversary yep. of, is it just of their existence or of the, just the scholarship of, program? Yeah, of the existence of the yeah, organization. And all the things. Yeah. So they've been around for a minute, clearly. Yeah. You know, so definitely like one of the staples in our community. So it is great that like you were, and, and I think that's also, again, something that we don't consider enough that sometimes even just aligning ourselves with organizations, whether it is through volunteer work, like there's so much value you can get with internship programs and all those things, but you looked up and then they happy, they actually happen to have an opening and that opening led to so many other great things. So like with that mentoring program, I do remember it very well. There was such great, you know, experience that you were able to gain that you could then take, mm -hmm. you know, to your other career ventures and all that. But how was the world of, you know, Cleveland state and, you know, once you moved into higher ed and all of those things, what was that like? Yeah, hon honestly, I um, I really loved being on the ground floor at Esperanza, like being um, in the community, yeah. with the community. Um, so when I left the nonprofit sector, I always sought to maintain that connection. Yeah. Um, so at Cleveland State, I worked with um, all the students that were um, interested in social work, nonprofit, urban affairs, public policy, um, and that allowed me to work then with employers that were working in that space. Um, also, always kind of stayed close to the college programs that Esperanza had, 
and just being an, an extra layer of support at Cleveland State for students looking for like internships, career opportunities, um, just advice from someone that um, maybe had similar experiences to them. Um, so I feel like my heart is always going to be like in the community with nonprofits and um, you know public facing organizations um, because I think that's where a lot of the work gets done and then it, it really gets enhanced and elevated through partnerships um, across different sectors. Absolutely. And that was also what was great. We, um, when we had Marielle also as part of our Hispanic heritage theories that we are um, still doing. Oh, and I didn't even shout that out at the beginning. We're still in it, y'all. Uh, we are wrapping this well, with it, but of course, Hispanic Heritage Month does not end, nor do the conversations about Hispanic heritage end, which is this or anything else that we're doing. You know, it just, it gives us, of course, a great opportunity to have discussions about it. Um, but of course the work doesn't stop. And as you know, you're mentioning, that's, that's what we mean though, is that they don't always necessarily get all of the attention that they necessarily deserve and all the funding that they probably deserve to be able to do the great things that they're doing, but they do offer such great, incredible opportunities. And like you said, they do it at the grassroots level. That is what's mm -hmm. awesome, like that direct contact. And I agree. I actually remember being the most heartbroken leaving my Espinosa position and the babies, so shout out to all the babies from you know, <laughs> Saturday Academy and blah, blah, all them. Uh, but it, you know, it was, it was like tremendous connections that are hard to match really in any other. I haven't exactly had that exact same connection that I had there. You know, in other ones, I've been able to help. I feel like in other ways with other career ventures that I've taken on, but it, it doesn't. It doesn't match the exact same experience that you know I had there. Yeah, I think because it's you know these spaces that are more at the grassroots are safe spaces for us, and um, they're culturally competent spaces for us. And when we right. move into other spaces that are um, sometimes predominantly white or in uh, more of that corporate culture. Um, it's just a very different, a different feel, a different um, political skill that that you need. Um, so I got a big reality check once I left uh, <laughs> working um, at that grassroots level. Although I had had some exposure, you know, during my first internship, but moving into academia um, was just very different. And then now mo most recently, I'm at a unique organization where it's um, quasi-government um, and has a corporate feel to it. So, so yeah, I think it, it really just depends on where you are, but we need to impact all of these spaces and make all of these spaces more accessible and, and more inclusive because we belong to be there. Um, oh, yeah. We're talented. We have the skill set, we have the desire. Um, so that's my whole mission and goal um, when it comes to like purpose for my work is to create more access to career and education opportunities for, for folks that um, normally aren't given that chance or are often overlooked. Absolutely. And we used to be the, you know, yeah. so that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. So like we have definitely seen what it's like. We also went to both went to PWI. So mm -hmm. we went to predominantly yep. white institutions. They were great ones. Yeah. I do. I do remember Hiram very fondly. You went to um, Paul Wallace. Wallace. Yep. Oh, yes. Um, so shout out to those. But did you see that? Like, did you see Like, Were you able to see like a lot of the students of color? Like, what were their experiences like on campus? Were you able to help them a lot to have those real intense conversations? Or did your or did your position actually lend itself to that or not lend itself? Do you mean in college? Yeah, like when you were at CSU. But also, yeah, relating it back to your experience as well. Yeah, but both. I would say at CSU, I kind of made it my own um, imperative yes. <laughs> to, to work with first-generation college students and underrepresented groups. Um, yeah. 
because I because there was a need for yeah. that. Um, and, and students from different identities, different backgrounds, um, have different needs and different challenges and different barriers. Um, also, you know, different cultural styles of communicating and, and relating. Um, so I kind of self-designated myself as the, the DEI person within our um, career center. Um, and that was actually able to really help me leverage my career into um, the DEI practice. So um, now I'm in uh, a diversity, equity, inclusion program specialist role. Um, so directly um, with that title and in that space. Um, and a few years ago, I, I would have thought like those positions were unattainable. Yeah. Although, you know, there's only one or two positions and I'll never get that because I'm not formally trained in DEI, although I do it every day. Um, but the work I did at CSU really positioned me to um, to enter that field as a, as a true practitioner. Come on. See, that's awesome. And I agree. I definitely think that there's been some, there's been, there's, there's certain careers that definitely I agree. Like you, you don't immediately know what are the criteria for it and like what exactly you're preparing. But it's funny because speaking of that, when you said it, I was like, yeah, you definitely been doing DEI all the way back to when you were the yep. president of the yep. like Latino board, you yep. know? So like the work definitely began way back when. And you actually reminded me going back to the science center. You're right. I forgot that we not only did work at the science center, but when we went to places like yeah. Friendly Inn yes. and we were performing the, yes. yeah, when we were doing those programs there, agreed. Garden you Valley, are right. Yes. Yeah. Like we went to a lot of. Exactly. Lot of Community agencies, yeah. and you're right, which to this day, as now as a school social worker, we still interact with a lot of them. But mm -hmm. I totally had it. I was like, wow, that is right. We were still, we were already infiltrating those yeah. spaces back then. And so I do love that it was a perfect, you know, setup for you. You know what I mean? A great, perfect prep to be able to do that. And so that is what I'm curious about. So like now that you are in this role, what does the world of diversity work look like now that you're in there, specialist? And like, you know, what are you doing now with that? Yeah, now that I'm on the other end, I still feel and very much act like an advocate, but now there's a bit more of the business lens to it. Um, so really looking at, you know, how do we work with the data that we have, with the resources that we have to implement, um, you know, different interventions that can then lead to outcomes. So it's all about data and outcomes, I think in any and every industry, but even in, in DEI work. Um, so looking at, you know, if we're, if we're going to build talent pipelines of diverse candidates, uh, what roles are we putting them into? Are they going to stay in the organization? Are they going to have opportunities to advance? Um, so it's, it's very complex and there's lots of pieces. I think another piece that I'm learning um, is just like the political skill and our personal skill relationship building piece to it that is really critical um, because you want to build allies that will be supportive of your work and that can push the work forward. Um, so I'm definitely getting more of that like higher level view of what it looks like from, I guess from the decision makers um, and, and from um, that organizational level. Oh, absolutely. And so that's awesome. So like, but has that been, is that the new thing for you then? Like having to look more at the data and all that? Or would you say that your other positions like set you up well for that part? They did. They did set me up well, um, even at, yeah, all the positions I've had have always been data driven. And I'm a very analytical person. Like I, I lead more with like relationship building and empathy, um, but I like to problem solve too. So I like to look at like, what's the issue and then what can we 
what intervention can we put in place to get this outcome? Um, so I'm really into like program planning and coming up with, uh, you know, this is the plan, this is how we're going to do it, and this is what we hope to um, accomplish. So it's, it's a good fit for me because I've been um, mostly in direct service for all my career. So like working directly with community members, with students, um, and now I get to do, um, I get to do both, but a bit more of the organizational level work that, that it takes to, to create like that long-term and larger progress. Absolutely, which is what we need. So yeah, so being able to be a part of that, you know, groundwork to be able to get that up and build that awareness and, and for others to know about that is amazing. And so speaking of that too, I know that you also got an opportunity recently to present to folks um, that were members. And so I believe it was, was it open to everyone or the members of the 100 plus Latino list and yep, all of that? All of the members of okay. 100 plus Latinos. Yep. So yes, for those who don't know, there is a 100 plus Latino list um, in Cleveland that was started by Marcia Moreno from Amor Consulting. So, you know, it's a great new venture. Well, not even new anymore. It's been in a couple of years now. So like say baby stages, but, and that was also something awesome that Elaine let me know about. So I actually was not aware of it uh, when it first came out, but it is, I definitely love that we're having more things like that because mm -hmm. what's been awesome about it is once you're a part of it, it is just this beautiful new networking opportunity yeah. that you're now able to like be a part of. And it does offer you opportunities to join sessions like the one that Elaine did. Yeah. And so how was that? And like, what all did you, were you able to cover with folks during that? Yeah. I love it. I'm just, I'm a big, um, like resume nerd. <laughs> so I could talk about like resumes, LinkedIn stuff, uh, networking for forever. And I think it's because like, I've always struggled with these things so much and no one teaches you, this is all like hidden information. Yeah. Um, no one teaches you how to build your resume, how to network, the importance of following up. Um, how to identify careers or organizations that are a good fit for you. Um, so I think that's what makes me so passionate about it, that um, I've struggled through that process and I've seen so many other people struggle through it. And it can be just very like emotionally taxing uh, because we, we spend most of our time at work, right? So we want to find um, a work experience that isn't going to be soul-sucking at minimum and at maximum that is something that can be um, you can find purpose in that you can support yourself and your family through. Um, and that is a good investment of your, of your time and resources. Um, so yeah, that's a long, a long way to say that I talked about, um, career development and how to really position yourself through like your resume, through your bio and talking about your strengths and assets rather than, um, thinking, oh, well, I don't, check all these boxes or I'm missing these one or two critical pieces. Um, so kind of reframing it as to well, what can you offer? What makes you that unique um, person? And what are your unique skills, uh, talents and gifts? See, and I do think that's awesome because that isn't something that everybody considers. And I think that that's a conversation that I've been having starting at the ground level with the high schoolers that I'm with, you know, just having them. And, and I always said that that always pains me when they're not able to articulate their strengths or not realize the skills that they do have and the practical skills that they have or like ways that they can, you know, infiltrate those spaces. But I'm sure you've seen it. So like having to be somebody who's giving career advice, I'm sure there are folks that do doubt, either doubt their abilities, don't feel that they have that necessary experience or don't realize the multitude of opportunities that are before them that they can. And so like, you know, have you seen that or like how have those conversations been? How have you been able to help people understand that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's everywhere that self-doubt, that imposter syndrome, you know, it's imposed on us too externally, you know, so as people of color, we get 
all these messages and look at who you know who who do we see in leadership who do what what messages do we get from media so there's um you know fair reason why we oh, yeah. battle this imposter syndrome and this self-doubt and we're also sometimes like blatantly um experience you know that discrimination or that like being put down and in the workplace and in school so it's a lot of like an uphill battle against all these external forces um so yeah i always take the the mindset that it's never it's never too early to start your career development it's never too late either so there's always like a new skill that you can pick up there's always a new connection that you can make and everyone has leadership capabilities i i truly believe that everyone has unique talents and gifts it's just really like identifying those and then matching them up to something that could be a good fit for you um, so I, I would say like 80 90 percent of folks including myself um, battle with that especially people of color oh yeah definitely and if a person, so to give us a preview, so like if a person was wanting to showcase more of their strengths and all that, like what are some tips, for example, that you offer them that like can help them showcase themselves better if they're feeling like, well, I don't really have a lot that I have on mine. Like if you could give them a few, like what are some tips you would give them? Yeah, I, I can think of a, a couple. Um, one thing that I really like are, I'm a psych major, so I really <laughs> love assessments, like personality assessments. Um, and there's a few good free ones out there as well, but I, I really like the Strengths Finder assessment, mm. Clifton Strengths Finder. Yes. Have you ever done that? Yes. Yeah. It's been a while though. Yeah. <laughs> so that one um, leans more on your strengths and it helps you identify like what are those areas where you're really strong in and how can you leverage them? Um, so one of, I'm trying to think of an example of one of mine. Um, I think one of mine is like love for learning. It's termed something else, but like, always having always seeking knowledge and truth yeah. and a love for learning and how that's impacted me is that um, again like I can tend to be very analytical but I can present a program plan backed with data backed with um, rationale um, that then makes sense for to move forward on so it kind of facilitates it for the decision makers um, so that's that's right. helped me and always kind of just staying on top of uh, trends, um, whether in higher ed, workforce, or, or DEI. Um, that's an example. Another example, I would say, I think it's it's either Strengths Finder or another assessment that I love, which is called, um, it's a values assessment. Um, it's called VIA values assessment. Values are really critical too. So I would say getting clear on what are your work values. So do you enjoy being um, a people person and being really collaborative? Are you really driven and motivated by earning um, a certain income level? Um, are you really good with data and information? So finding out like what are those interests and values, what you're looking for um, in that workplace and in your day-to-day -day experience. Um, so assessments, another one I would say is um, doing some mindfulness practices, so journaling, so taking some time to answer thinking about some reflection questions. How would your past colleagues, supervisors, friends, family, how would they describe you? What are some things that they would say um, about how you show up in the family or, or at work? Um, and then that's another piece too. So don't just think about what you've done 
for work. You are a whole person and you have experiences outside of work. So, you know, how have you shown up for your family? How have you shown up in the community? Um, are there other passion projects that you're involved with or organizations or volunteering? Um, so you can pull from any and every experience that you've had to start building up those, those strengths. Um, and then last, I would say, talk to someone. So if you, there's lots of um, free resources. If you're a current student working with your career center, if you're a community member, um, the library systems have really great free uh, job coaching resources. But having a coach, I think, helps build that confidence in you and helps uncover some of the strengths that you might not see right away. Oh, yes. I love everything about that because I do think those are some of the things that I feel like people would think don't always have space on the resume. Like, why, why would I put that? Or like, I need to stick to just whatever job I had and specifically, how does this relate to the other position? But it's like, actually not. Like, yeah. that is a great thing to bring out. And you do, you need to be able to like capitalize on that and really showcase yourself authentically, but holistically. And so sometimes I feel like we miss that. We're thinking that that's not necessarily something that speaks well. But even like telling kids, like back when you used to babysit, yo, know, like yes. kids trusting you, you don't mean to be able to do that is an awesome skill that you had. If you are the oldest in your family and yes. you've been used to having to take care of all them siblings, that's a big skill, yes. you know what I mean? And so like, I'm sure that you're always the person that probably takes on that, you know, project first. That's no accident, you know what I mean? That's just who you are and like the kind of, you know, skills that you bring to the table. So I agree that like, we need to be able to like, definitely not count that out and not count, like you said, all those connections out those experiences out, but definitely gaining experience from leadership. And so I love hearing that, like you said, a job coach, but also like, and if you're a person that's considering a business, business coaches are yes, great too. Yes. Please do it. And so like definitely consult that if you can. That's a great point. There's no like one answer. There's no one path, no one direction. Um, we were just talking about this, that like, you know, we've been fed this notion that the track is, college, career, and then you have this amazing like American dream life. But as many of us know, like that's not that's not reality. Right. So we kind of have to create our own spaces and our own paths. Um, and that looks different for for everyone. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's OK that yes. it does. <laughs> and so like and people are definitely pursuing great like lucrative opportunities and they don't it's not the traditional way to do it so like we don't always have to follow that traditional path to get to that and like success is clearly being redefined every day yes i would definitely say that i'm even learning like i don't have to and i mean like i also agree that not only was i you know ingrained to believe that but also the grind and like yes, yes. you can you know hear about the grind and you're participating in it but goodness gracious it needs to be fueled like you said with passion like I feel like it needs to be that you're grinding not just working for other people but I feel like you better be grinding for you like mm -hmm. I'd rather be doing that for yourself that you're working hard that you're actually like gaining things that are going to help you ultimately but that you're not doing it to please others because that is something that I feel like we've also been able to see you know I mean um in fortunate ways and other unfortunate ones yeah. but we have seen a lot like from the nonprofit world we both actually have participated in higher ed in different ways as students but as professionals and so like we've definitely been able to see all of that and uh, now like part of other agencies but as we know like definitely ultimately I think that's why you know that's always why I love when people have said that you gotta like align yourself with a passion and not with an employer because yeah. it's like yes you know what I'm saying like you're you definitely that employer and all that those things will continue to you know be where yes. they are but as long as you are aligned with your passion and you know where you want to go then you'll be able to take that anywhere really
One of my colleagues recently said the work is bigger than the four walls that we're in. And that like really stuck with me because um, it, it can be really exhausting work and it can be disheartening too yeah. when you're dealing like with these big, big systemic things that sometimes it feels like you're not, you know, like, what am I doing? <laughs> am I actually making yeah. an impact? Um, but But we are collectively and the work is bigger than the organization, you know, mm -hmm. that you're at or the projects that you're working on or the program that you're putting in place. Um, it's part of like these larger efforts to to create change. Let's go. And the thing is, too, I want to also speak to those that have work guilt. We're talking to you because like <laughs> I know that I've also been at places where I feel like I've stayed longer than I needed to because I felt like I owed the organization something that like my work was not done. I'm going to be honest with you. It's there's never going to be a perfect time. Yeah. You know, if you feel yourself being called to something else, you know, don't let yourself be pressured out of a situation either, because I have also responded to calls thinking that like I needed to be there. It wasn't necessarily me making the call, though. Someone else was doing it. And I just thought like, oh, I really want want to respond to this and I need to say yes to everything we don't need to say yes, yes. to every single opportunity <laughs> y'all you can say no yes don't you can say, say yes no. yeah not every darn time right. and don't feel like you owe anybody anything no you don't you know what I mean you owe yourself whatever it is that you want to do and you know yourself better than anyone and actually if you don't Elaine offered some amazing assessments that can help with that because honestly I was like I need to bust those back out because I I honestly know that some of my strengths have definitely changed mm -hmm. the last yeah. time I took it was when I had my first job oh wow that's yeah. why I was he like I know I need it. yeah exactly <laughs> like some things have changed and I love the values one because yeah. it is yeah. true though I definitely feel like we need to be in spaces that align with our values, but that we also need to live a life that is aligned with our values. And so like, it's sometimes it's hard to get away from, it's very easy to get derailed from that, especially in our society. I mean, because like you said, there is a lot going on and there is a lot of pressure and we're always hearing different narratives being thrown. And that's what I was curious about too. Cause like you said, we all have our stories. You sprinkled it in there at the beginning, but I definitely want to go back. You are Puerto Rican. And so like, and you were born there, correct? You yep. weren't even, yeah. So yep. you like came over here. I'm wondering what was, what was life like for you before you became the professional, all of that? Like, and like you said, you got hip to the corruption. For me, I got hip to it as an adult, like in college. Mm. I'm sure you probably got to see more things firsthand and all that. But what was life for you back then before all this? Yeah, I think um, that feeling of, living in multiple worlds but not belonging to any Ooh. um so there's like a a saying um ni de aquí ni, ni de allá so i'm not from here and i'm not from from there i don't fully belong in either space and i've heard it recently actually reframed um soy de, de aquí y de allá so i'm from here and from there and i'm gonna start using that um because that's that's how i feel it at this point in yes, life I love um, that. but but yeah I came over in the early 90s I was um, a young child I think I was like around my son's age actually like seven or eight um, and when I got to Cleveland busing was still taking place <laughs> so my family settled in like the Clark Fulton neighborhood which is um, an area that is a really high uh, Latino population in Cleveland I think it's like 40 percent maybe yeah, yeah something pretty like sure um, so that's where we first settled. And I remember taking the bus, um, the yellow school bus <laughs> from like the West 25th area to um, to the east side. So um, always had been like in the Cleveland schools, um, always grew up in a really like multicultural environment, like as far as like my peers and, and students. I mean, the, the students that I went to school with. Um, 
But then I also was always really connected to Puerto Rico. So we were kind of, um, you know, a unique family here in Cleveland in that I feel like a lot of Latinos kind of travel in groups, right? So it's like yeah. one person <laughs> from the family comes and then the tia comes, you know everybody else comes. We all but, come but we were by ourselves. Um, mm. It was just my my family. So it was my, my immediate family. Uh, myself, my younger brother, my mother, and and my father. Um, so we didn't have much family here. That was always a struggle too. And, and kind of like if you, if you're um, a Latina woman, uh, you might resonate with like the overprotectiveness and some of the the standards that are placed oh, upon yeah. us. Um, oh, yes. So that kind of coupled with not having family here sometimes did feel isolating. Um, and then I always traveled back and forth to, to Puerto Rico. So I would spend my summers there um, and all my family was there. So I, I do really feel like I grew up in, in both places and yeah. have always, even as an adult, you know, now that I'm an adult, um, I, I don't, I'm not like forced to go to Puerto Rico like I used to be with my parents back in the day, but I really make it a point to be there. Um, at least once once a year and, and check in on my grandparents and just be home and have that feeling of like being being home like I just yeah. think it's a different a different feeling um, and then yeah just noticing like the differences between um, inner city Cleveland there's so many struggles and challenges um, and in Puerto Rico too and to, for me it feels like two very different countries although P Puerto Rico is part of the the U.S. it feels like a whole nother country a whole nother culture to me um, so yeah always kind of like balancing those those two worlds oh my gosh yes I was definitely thinking that and it's man and so like and I love that that there is intentionality now like to do it but I agree I remember going on being hauled off on my little trips when I was younger yeah. you know of course my mom was <laughs> yeah. gonna go and I'm not saying I disliked them. it's just that I didn't get to do as much that I would want yeah, to do yeah. that's what it was so it's not like just like visiting family pretty much y'all we was at Abuelita's house the whole time I was like yo a little boring y'all real yeah. pretty but it's boring right, so like right. that was the only thing but but it is it is a gorgeous place and I'm not gonna and I, what I also loved about what you said is the home piece mm. so like I agree and even me I I was not born in Puerto Rico. I was born here. So like I was born in Cleveland and my mom was the result of the mass migration that Elaine just spoke about. She had, it was her brother's first. They mm -hmm. all came. They all <laughs> sent, you know, this messages back home. She got the message. There was jobs here. Y'all come through. She came through and did all that. Um, so I ended up, I was born here. My brother was also born here in Chicago. And so like Chicago also, of course, has a yeah. very rich yeah. Puerto Rican and Latino in general, like populations and all that. They also have really interesting, like, girls you know yeah. what I mean in places like kind of like New York. I've always called Chicago the more affordable New York mm. but that's just me because I'm like gives me New York vibes but it is more affordable than New York mm. in some ways um you know depending where you are and all those things but I love I agree with that because even as a person born here and that's something that we cannot I feel like echo enough is that I don't like when we're discredited for like how Latino you are yes. and like all these things because it's like I wasn't born there, y'all, but as soon as I get there, as soon as I get off that plane, I smell that air, I feel that home. Yes. You know, I just feel like it's unlike any other place. Our it roots is. are there. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I just feel like I also love Shouts to Young Latino Network, and hopefully eventually we can have uh, Selena on. We've mm -hmm. also shouted you out a couple times, Selena, so if you're listening. Um, but, like, 
reclaiming. I love that they actually yes. made a, a, a message recently about reclaiming Hispanic Heritage Month. You know, we've also been having a lot of conversations about what does it need to look like and yeah. what, how can we use it? But reclaiming that, y'all, and just reclaiming yourself. I feel like reclaiming your identity, your roots, what those are, and what those mean to you, but also acknowledging your ancestral roots in the process. So, like, we do come from places like we don't just exist now and here you know we should we should care a lot about our present and you know where we are and where we're gonna go but like knowing where we came from and that you know and speaking of foundations like the things that shaped us and like made us you know the people we are and so for us yes I am also a very fellow proud Puerto Rican and I do I do love it and I agree it is its own separate place and even with the only thing that's been heartbreaking for me is seeing that there has been American influence exactly, on it. Yeah. That's yeah. not been easy thing yeah. to like go back and see. And it becomes a little bit stronger every time I've gone back. I'm like, oh, great. Like the little stores that I remember seeing are being replaced by things. So that part can be hard. But just like you said, it's also, I think, hard when you are navigating in different spaces and how you feel like those different identities that come with it. So, yeah, definitely. Um, so I appreciate it. I definitely appreciate that you shared that and like what it's been. But then like, so with that, do you feel like that also has influence to this day, like how you advocate and like how you show up in different spaces or like how has that still influenced you? Definitely. Um, I mean, I think just being exposed to just growing up again, like in a really multicultural environment, um, there, there's a term in like the DEI world, cultural competency. Like I feel like I've grown up in <laughs> cultural competency, like from from birth, just be, by being um, in these very like multicultural spaces. Um, so I, yeah, I very, it's just I'm aware of different identities and and different groups and different challenges, um, and that. You know, people are unique, even within the Latino culture. We're yeah. so diverse um, within ourselves and even in ideology, too, and, like, what, how we look Pretty at much. some of these things. That's very true. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's it's really shaped my approach to, to anything and everything. I'll even say um, being, you know, being a, a first generation, being an immigrant, um, I can, I feel especially at, at when I was working with college students, working particularly like with international students, I feel like I had, um, I was able to empathize with um, some of those challenges of being, um, you know, a bilingual person, maybe not having English as your first language, um, having different visible like cultural differences. Um, and those are some things that I think sometimes mainstream America can be really harsh on like not give not give any leeway or grace yet when we go to another country we expect everything to be in english and right. everything to cater to to us yeah um, so that I, I can definitely see it in that space and then just being able to work with lots of different folks i think allyship is another thing i'm really interested in like i'm very much a advocate for um, the Latino community, but really for all um, minoritized communities and, and folks. And uh, that's another piece. And like when we, there, I think there's mechanisms that try to tear us apart, right? And try to create conflict amongst us. Um, and it's, it's so deep and so complex. It's, it's even within like amongst Latinos, amongst um, black yeah. and brown folks, amongst, um, a AAPI and Latin, like it's it's very complex. Mm, it can one, it yeah. can be very um, 
what's the word, sinister, yeah. I think. Um, so we need to come back to like all working together and creating those those partnerships and, and allyships so that we can all move collectively to fight against um, those systems, the, the white supremacy that really impacts all of us. Um, so I just think it's, it's so, there's so many pieces to yep. it. And um, yeah, it's very complicated. And when I see it like very oversimplified and politicized, it really bothers me. Absolutely. Um, because Absolutely. people don't see the full picture and they don't want to see the, the full picture they don't want to try to make an attempt to understand um so oh yes and i appreciate too the added extra layer because we also yes i love that allyship has been a continued theme that y'all been hearing in this series because you know maria and i as well but like i love but i also love the added layer that you said even like aapi so agreed like asian as well like just all the different there's so many myriad right of mm -hmm. populations that exist and in america you're gonna see it you know especially here and so that definitely happens. But I think what's interesting too is that, so that's, those are, and that's what we mean, right? Like the fact that we still have Black History Month, we have Hispanic Heritage Month, we have an AAPI Month, Asian and specific, um, Asian American and Pacific Islander Month. I mean, that's what we're seeing. Like the fact that we still need those, that's already, you know, saying that we still need to have more conversations, that it's still not permeated in that way. But it also doesn't mean that that's an excuse for the, okay, so during AAPI Month, all the Latinos, you stay silent, let them do their thing. During Black History Month, we don't we don't go there, we don't infiltrate, we stay over here. That's not what it's supposed to do. Like it's supposed to amplify all of the conversations and all of the efforts. And we really should be coming together all the time. And I love that when I was in college, I was very much a member of the African American Student Union. Mm -hmm. And I had Ola because yes, I did want to also have events that were like Latino in nature, but we would go to each other's yes. meetings. Yes. We would go to each other's meetings, promote each other's events, and like we did that to join each other. So yeah, we had a lot of the same members sometimes. We would promote a lot of the awareness because we were still at the same college, <laughs> still trying to do the same things, still trying to be there for each other, still trying to create safe spaces, increase awareness, but then do all these things. And so I agree with you. I think like that is absolutely missed. And then I also love what you said about like, there's diversity within Latinos too. If we really gonna break it down, y'all, there is no one size fits all Latino. Like there's, yeah. there's no such thing. Like you're literally, you're not gonna see that demographically you're not going to see it physically like there's just so many ways and i agree with you that ideologically as well based on our own experiences of course we're going to look at it and of course we're going to take certain things we're going to base it on because of course a lot of knowledge we build it is based on research and data hopefully mm -hmm. right because we have that available to us but i mean anecdotally too let's be honest we're going to relate it back to the experience i had but for me in my family yeah. this is what happened and so like and i get that but i think too like if we are going to come together and you know really see it we need to see where that commonality struggle is and like where we can all rise up together so that we all can gain more benefits yes. <laughs> because we're all navigating it anyway mm -hmm. yes. so we can get out there so. yeah it's, it's a balance between because I, I I see both I think it's um, I like the turn term BIPOC and POC so black indigenous people of color um, and I also like acknowledging our respective individual identities I think it needs to be um, it needs to be both and it needs to be both like a strong effort of of both right. um, because I think the the coalition building is is so um, critical because if you if you put people of color together we are the people of the global majority that's another reason I hate the term um, minority minority <laughs> yeah. and I, I'm taking a course and I just learned this from my professor um, to start using the term minoritized yeah. 
because although we may not be minorities in terms of numbers, we've been minoritized in that we don't have access to the same spaces and levels of influence that, um, you know, the dominant culture, um, white male dominated um, leadership positions have. Um, Yes, that's right. And changing it to more of like the action that's been happening. I love that too when it comes to also thinking about enslaved person yes. versus mm-hmm. like a slave. No, we're not a slave. We're not going to take that on as an identity, but it was an enslaved person because it is something that occurred to them versus who they are. I love that. So like I love like refer. And then I mean, I think, you know, speaking like you said, since you're also a psych fan and we're both, you know, psychology fans, I mean, it's all about the reframing because mm-hmm. definitely if you feel like that is only who you are and that you are set up to fail and, you know, all those things, then that is what you will begin to internalize. And it is, that's where the self-doubt will continue to grow because you feel like you are not meant to have any of these other great things or like, you know, that you don't deserve success or whatever or achievements or just any, you know, progression in general. So I feel like, yes, it's always going to be very important to reframe that, to know that, to get in touch with that and to really take active steps against that since it can become so ingrained. But you also said that there were some standards, you know, that you also grew up hearing, you know, as a Latina and all that, like, you know, that dichotomy as well. And so what was it like having to fight against like those things as well? And like, how do you feel like you've grown from, you know, what yeah. was pressure in that way? I think like the two biggest things that come to mind that are sometimes problematic in our culture um, is first and foremost, the colorism. I yeah. think that's just um, yep. Yep. so rampant and so, um, so damaging. Right. Um, and I know, I think your last guest talked about this too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I love what she said. Um, something like, we can't run away from it anymore. That saying of, ¿Dónde está tu abuela? Y mira, ¿Dónde está tu, tu abuela? And um, yeah, I have family members that are Afro-Latino, but they will not say they're, <laughs> they would say, oh, my grandma had blue eyes and blonde hair. And yep. So it's just very rampant and troubling in our society. Um, and then, like on the other end, when you get to the United States, here everything is seen in black and white. So there's almost like no space for for right. brown. Yep. Um, we don't fit. We don't fit in any of those boxes. Um, I consider myself multiracial. You know, indigenous, black, European ancestry. I'm not gonna check the white box, but we're being called to check that white box to increase the number of. Um, I don't know if I can get this political on your thing. Is <laughs> <Like>, that okay? <laughs> I feel like now the real stuff is coming. Yeah, it is though. We interrupted, bro. We got there. <laughs> so yeah, we're being um, almost. And this was from a racial equity training that I that I did. I remember this term. How they were explaining that um, Latinos are being invited, called into being a part of the white population. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's and that's happening. So the the colorism, I think, um, feeds into that. It feeds yes. into our beauty standards it feeds into some of the conflict that we have with our um you know within black and brown communities and um not even so much the conflict just like the missed opportunity in coalition building right um so colorism the other one i will say are some of the misogynistic um traits and um, ideologies that we carry within us so, um, you know, with, um, I grew up in a, my, my grandparents have a very traditional family marriage, um, very 
strongly defined gender roles. That doesn't work in the United States in 2023 anymore. Like it's just, it's just, it's not reality, right? Um, And not only that, like in terms of work and how you show up for like yourself and your family, but just like the, the worth that you have for yourself and how you, I know you talk about a lot about like relationships, like how you approach your worth in relationships, how, um, you know, like that scene as like the golden ticket is to become a wife and mother. And those are amazing things, but right. um, it doesn't always pan out that way. And everyone's mm-hmm. path looks different. And you can still be an amazing person if you're not um, married, right? Hey, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> yes. Amen. And if you're a, a single mother out here, you yeah, know. Yeah, you getting it, boo. Yeah. So yeah. I just think there's multiple paths and, um, and we're kind of fed that those, those messages from an early age that this is how women should show up. We should be self-sacrificing. We should do everything and anything <laughs> for our family, for our men. Right. Um, and it, it, I think that's harmful. Yeah. Well, but exactly. Only because, I mean, because of course, like, like you just said, I mean, for those who, you know, participate in that and build those beautiful families, I mean, by all means, of course, we're saying that there's so much value to that, but there's so many other things that you can exercise and take part in and that doesn't make you any less of a person. That's all we are saying though, but agreed because growing up and hearing that is hard (laughs) to live with, to think that that's all you can aspire to. And that, well, and here's the main thing, like you just mentioned, and that's why I'm glad we're bringing it up is that, and so what if I don't do that? Does that make me inadequate? That's, that's the problem because you grow up with the pressure of like, okay, so wait, if I am making in my career, but I don't have a man, like, so now I'm not okay. Like that, that I'm not successful then. Like, why is that the question? Or like, if you show up to the family, gathering and you want to talk about this cool project that you did but you don't have a fiance like you know what I mean like right. so then I'm not allowed to be here like does that you know because you can have other things that you care about as well and maybe those other things will come whatever but again that you still matter you still have like this great these great contributions they don't have to look domesticated yeah. in that way that's all we're saying and that you can challenge that I do love that you know and I do think that we do need to have more conversations about that and um since it did get brought up I will say that I definitely do think that I've seen it. I mean, I've seen it even back in undergrad. So like even in college, seeing how I do feel like I also saw some Latinos voluntarily participating in the white, you know, exercising the white spaces. But I also agree that there is an invitation. I agree it is there only because and it happened with other populations as well. It happened with Italians, obviously. Now, how are Italians and Irish people white? I mean, there was an invitation made. There was a table that was there. They were invited to come to it. And now it's something that we just talk about like it's always been that way. Yeah. You know, it's like it's yeah. insane to think about. But like, no, they weren't. Yeah. <laughs> they These people were people that were discriminated against that are now just white. Yeah. Like Latinos, y'all, we're not, you know, we're not from that, but we are seeing it. Like it's it's interesting to, to navigate it. But it's interesting for Latinos, though, because like you said, there is Afro-Latinidad. Yes. And so we do still have African ancestry. There's going to be certain Latinos that even when invited, not all of them are going to be able to do it. And so that's why you're seeing the division happen. And so like, fine, like, well, I'm going to go ahead and take my ticket. I'm going to the table, but I mean, well, I can't join you. So like, what do I do now? Like, what does that look like for me? And like, you know, where should I go? So I agree. It's an interesting, it's interesting waters that we are now navigating. Yeah. But I think that if we, I just would love for us to see that regardless of whatever space we are occupying and wherever we are, that we don't deny the, you know, the heritage that we have and that whenever it is, whether it's during Hispanic Heritage Month or any other month of the year, that we are so proud, you know, to have that. And that, like, I I don't want us to feel that it's better, you know, even though that sometimes that's a message we get, that it's better to 
abandon that identity in order to gain success. That's the messaging I hope we don't get. So, yeah. Man. And so with that, ma'am, like, right? I was like, we got to take a pause on that one. Uh, But with that being said, like, what kind of work do you hope to also do in the future with the DEI and all this stuff? Like, yeah, what's on the horizon for you? Okay. Um, Yeah, I want to continue to grow in my field and have a greater greater impact, Um, really trying to bring folks into spaces where they've been traditionally underrepresented. Absolutely. I, again, like really have a love and appreciation for grassroots work and um, community organization. So I would love to get more involved um, in board service. So on on the other end of, um, you know, maybe serving on the board of a a nonprofit, volunteering more in in the community. Um, And then I also really enjoy creating content um, around career development topics where there's not as much content. So like, for example, earlier, how we were talking about um, the resumes and strengths, like just reframing some of these conversations that normally um, take place. Like, here's how you set up your resume, A, B, C. Yes, but let's consider these other aspects and let's um, be creative and let's talk about um, different strategies and applicant tracking systems and, networking and following up and like all these all these things that you're not just going to get from like one article on indeed.com yeah agreed yeah that there's space for that okay awesome i definitely think yeah those are great goals and i do know that there's different people that listen including board presidents so that's interesting that you mentioned board um hopefully that could become a reality soon hey (laughs) make that happen but agreed because i definitely think to amplify the voice you know what i mean and so like and i think that's also so cool to even hear that you know knowing that we go way back to like high schoolers i don't think i would have ever been thinking about sitting on a board or you know what i mean like yeah thinking about that yeah back in the day we were part of like these we were part of governing bodies like our Mm -hmm. student student councils and are things there but now to be thinking that like oh maybe we should be joining more of that mm-hmm. shout out to uh rosa cruz she just also became part of the hispanic round table so shout out to oh, you girl another awesome. latina yes yes i saw yesterday girl so hey hey <laughs> um but that is cool you right that and, and then knowing that we can we deserve to and we should let's do it like add our voice to the conversation that it, we can add that richness, make it richer, that we're coming generationally, that we're adding diversity from that way, you know what I mean, in these different perspectives, that you're now seeing the students who came, I mean, the students and also the children who came straight from Puerto Rico yep. that are now here, what that's been looking like, and like now what services are better, like that we're able to talk about what they look like. And so I love knowing that those are the things that you're gonna be doing there. And yeah. for anybody else who may be considering like going into DEI, that fields, or like any of the fields that you mentioned or want some career help, is there any advice you would give to them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going internally first. So doing a lot of that self-reflection, getting really clear on what your values are, what's important to you, um, what you're looking for that's going to be fulfilling and, and match that purpose. Um, but then going externally too. So networking, relationship building, um, connecting with folks that are in positions or organizations that you want to be in a lot of folks um, are eager and willing to to talk to you you just have to ask and that's something I've learned along along the way as well Um, and then just I mean we have so many we have the internet right (laughs) like everything at the at the touch of our phones and and um, so using your resources again there's lots of like free content out there um, uh, 
ways to like learn new skills. Like even on YouTube, you can really up some of your technical technical skills, your Excel, or if you want to design um, websites or get into marketing. Um, so we have access to so much information where it's like we don't need those four walls anymore of the traditional um, classroom or, or certifications. We can really create our own path. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And right, we don't have to just do it from there. Yeah. You know, there are other ways to do it. And yeah, don't think that, and like we mentioned, that anything is unattainable. There, there probably is a way to be able to get there. I think it's harder not knowing what it is that you want to attain. That's a little harder because, of course, that's not a question that anybody can answer for you yeah. except you. But if you know it, and it's just simply a matter of how to get there, I'm pretty sure we can figure it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm pretty sure we can form that path, help you on there, and, you know, be able to do it. So, yes, I hope that you do take advantage of that, whether it's free coursework, whatever. But, and like you said, even just informal, you know, practices and just setting up, setting, setting up those relationships, like you mentioned, with folks that are in those spaces and can help you with it and really just give you that real perspective of like what it's like there, how to navigate and all those things. And so. try and try different things. That's an, another piece is like you might not, um, you don't know where you're going to end up or, or you don't know what you don't know. So trying right. things that maybe are outside of your comfort zone, um, this is outside of my comfort zone. Melissa knows that. <laughs> but you know, podcast that I very much don't like the spotlight, but um, you have to push. Nothing grows um, unless you're outside of your comfort zone. So you have to push yourself to experience new things, to meet new folks, to try new ventures. And that's the only way you'll you'll really grow and, and discover the path that's for you. Yes, absolutely. And so y'all heard it. So that's a good way to be able to wrap, at least for now. You know, there's so many other things, of course, we could like talk about and delve yeah. into, but we'll save those for y'all. Uh, but if folks want to connect with you or learn more about you or like what you're doing organizationally or what have you, is there a way for them to reach out? Yeah, you can uh, look me up on LinkedIn. Hey. It's Elaine Suarez or um, connect with me via email. It's e Suarez Rodriguez one at gmail.com. Hey, hey, so y'all heard it. Definitely LinkedIn is good. Yo, LinkedIn is like blowing up now. It's a little, I love LinkedIn. It, yes, it is good. <laughs> it has a little Facebook vibes a yeah, little bit, you know, yeah. with some of the things they've been changing it, y'all. Um, but it's a great space. It is a great I space. I could do a whole There's, episode on LinkedIn. So. Oh, see, okay, so we'll be back for LinkedIn. That'll be yeah. part two. Um, we'll let y'all know about that. And if y'all want it, let us know, right? Yeah. Like, let us know that that's something that you're interested in. We could definitely make sure that we address it. And yeah, because I am learning more about it. So you're right. It would be great to educate more on that topic. But y'all heard it. Please feel free to um, connect. Of course, with the show as well, like always look us up. Santana says everywhere, audio-wise, but also YouTube. You know, wherever you get your favorite podcast, make sure y'all continue to tune in. But as always, we appreciate you. Appreciate you also for coming on. Thank, Thank you. you. Step outside your comfort zone, y'all. Yes. Pushed us. She did it. I did it. Um, but <laughs> I showed excited. up. Yes, exactly. I know, right? You could have stood yeah. me up. I'd have been sorry, y'all. Just sitting here waiting. I would never. <laughs> no. I appreciate it. Yeah. And definitely, y'all, thank you always for tuning in, supporting, and anything else we can do, any other feedback, let us know. But I hope you enjoy your Feel Good Friday and join us on another one so we can uh, do it all over again. Thank you. <laughs>